So this is living with courage. So for, for a lot of you, uh, this, this camp has been a high point of at least the last several weeks of your life, maybe, maybe this year, maybe this summer, I, I don't know, this has been a high point. It's one of those things that's been a positive experience, it's been good. Uh, the Spirit of God has clearly moved among us. Uh, we cannot presume upon that. That's his gift to, that he would choose to move here and to move in our lives. Uh, for some of you, for some of you, this is going to be a moment that you're going to remember. This is going to be a point in life that you're going to look back to as a milestone, as a, as a real turning point for you as to what God did in your life. But here's what's true. For all of us, uh, reality is coming. <laughs> some people, some people look like some people start doing away with the words retreat. Uh, I, I've always been curious about that because Jesus Himself went away to the mountains. Uh, it's good for us to pull away and to focus on the things of God at times. Now we don't live that way. It's not, not how God intended us to live in retreat. But, but there are times when it is good to come aside, to, to get away, and to commune with the Lord and to do that with other people. It prepares us to, to go into the reality of the world that we live in. So school's coming in a few weeks, either back to high school or for a lot of you, college. Um, and the realities that that's going to bring... Uh, for others of you, it's just the friendships that you know that are awaiting you at home. And I remember uh, when I was uh, 17 years old and confronted with what it meant to follow Christ and the dilemma it put me in with my friends. It was huge. And uh, it, was, it was a huge challenge. So, so let me just share about it for a moment. I, 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 didn't wanna, I wanted them to know Jesus. But I wanted to walk with Jesus at the same time. <laughs> so here's where the tension is. So you're wanting to walk with Jesus. They don't. And there comes a point when you got to just admit that there's a principle in the Scripture that bad company corrupts good character. And, and you got to determine where that's happening and where you can influence that. And uh, I can still remember driving down Pittstown Road and my 65 Mustang and tooling along with my best friend and he looked at me and screamed at me and said, this Jesus stuff's all right for you, but you leave me the H alone. I said, all right, man. I'm not, I mean, you can't force anything. And that, that began the loneliest six months of my life. Now, here's what I'm convinced of, young men and women. Had I given in to the loneliness, I wouldn't be standing in front of you today. Wouldn't be here. So, reality's coming. For others of you, it's family. I'm going to talk about that in the middle of the message. It's just going to be your mom and dad or brothers and sisters or somebody. It's going to be the family you deal with. So, let's look at our definition one last time. Gospel-centered courage is the resolve to live. So we're, 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 we're talking about the living now. To live as a follower or disciple of Christ in the midst of difficulty with strength, daring, and confidence. <laughs> now you think I'm blunt. Jesus is blunt. Behold, 
I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. So Jesus is saying here, the reality of what it means to live a sent life, to be on my mission, means that you're like a sheep in the midst of wolves. But you don't just roll over and let them attack you. You're wise as serpents, but you're innocent as doves. So let me pray for us and we'll launch into thinking through these things. Father, I pray now that you would lead as uh, we open your word, and I pray that your word would come alive to us, that we will not resist it or push it back, that we will embrace it as what it is, the very word of God. It is true. And, and though these truth realities make us nervous and make us want to shrink back, I pray that courage would well up in us to believe and then to act. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I didn't say this. Uh, I meant to a minute ago. This, this probably would be another one of those good sermons that I'm doing, even though you got this book, to get your Bible out and mark these passages. These, these are crucial places to know they're in your Bible, so you're going back and you're seeing these. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 10 to 12 as we think about the realities of living for Christ, Jesus said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So the persecution here, the ridicule, the mistreatment comes in the form of relationships with other people. And this mistreatment can be verbal. It can be what people say. They utter all kinds of evil against you. So I'm going to use an illustration from my senior year of, 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 uh, of high school. So because and how I was seeking to live for, for the Lord and... Um, how relationships were playing out in my life. Now, this is 1985, so this was not a label you wanted at that point. Uh, there was a large rumor in my high school that I was a homosexual. Now, why do you think that got started? Because I was not promiscuous with girls. So as a result... That was the form of persecution as I was seeking to live out my faith is that people started to say that I was gay. Um, you live for Christ, people are going to find some way to ridicule you. It's coming. Jesus said it would come, that it would, that it would happen. It can be physical as well. It can be things that they do to you, to harm you. Jesus says, rejoice and be glad. So if these things happen to you, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. <laughs> now, let's just be honest. Rejoice and be glad. Really? Like, we're, we're supposed to be happy about people saying those kind of things about us or harmful things that hurt deeply? Why should we rejoice? What about that would make us to rejoice? Here's the answer, that we are being identified with Christ. That's why we're rejoicing. That our lives are connecting to 
what it means to be a Christ follower and that we are imaging Christ in our actual lives in such a way that we're being treated like him. Jesus pressed this further in John 15. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. So you want the world, you want your friends and everybody love you? Just act like them. That's the easy way to do it. They, they'll treat you fine. But because you are not of the world, I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. And so I'd, I'd underline this if you have your Bible. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will, I'd circle this word, highlight it, will, they will also persecute you. So if they persecuted Christ, did they? Yes, so if they persecuted Christ, they will persecute you. That's the negative. Here's the positive. If they kept my word, they will keep yours. That means if, as the gospel was proclaimed, people embraced the gospel that Christ preached, and he's, here's the promise he's given you. Yes, people are going to persecute you, but people are going to believe and obey the word that you proclaim. So we press forward. 2 Timothy 3, 12. If, indeed, all who, now don't miss this word, desire. All who desire to live God, a godly life in Christ Jesus will, there it is again, not might, will be persecuted. Now I think this is significant. I think the Bible's admitting a couple things. First here, no, nobody lives a perfect godly life. Okay, we're all struggling with indwelling sin, and we're struggling with the, the sin patterns of our life. Now, that's not an excuse to sin. It's just an admission that we do. But here's what the Bible's saying. Even if you desire to live godly, if that's the attempt of your life, that's where you're moving toward, just the desire to live out godliness in your life will result in people persecuting you. Peter takes this up and says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. So when it comes, so I'm telling you it's coming. The Bible's telling you it's coming. You live out your faith. The difficulty's coming. Don't be shocked. Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because, here's what you know, the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Now this is John Piper's little book, Risk is Right. It's actually a chapter out of Don't Waste Your Life, but he put it together in one little book. So I want to read a section of it for you. Jesus made this clear. He said, for example, in Luke 21, 16, you will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. Some of you they will put to death. Now, listen to what he says. The key word here is some. Some of you will be put to death. This word puts the earthly life of the disciples in great uncertainty. So not all will die for the cause of Christ, but neither will all live either. Some will die, some will live. This is what I mean by risk. It is the will of God that we be uncertain about how life on this earth will turn out for us, and therefore, 
It is the will of the Lord that we take risks for the cause of God. Now I want you to tell me if this is good gospel here. So there's a, there, there's a movement in the Muslim world that actually got started by missionaries. Um, and here's how the movement works. Uh, it's called the insider movement. That if you're a Muslim, you trust Jesus, but you just keep living like a Muslim. Because if you go to church or read a Bible or stop going to mosque or you stop following Ramadan or you let your family know you're a Christian, you're going to die. But Jesus knows your heart. So as long as you have Jesus in your heart, you just keep living like a Muslim. Just ask your question. Does that screw up with Jesus? Here's the only way the gospel is going to spread in the Muslim world. So I'm just going to say it plain and clear. A lot of people are going to have to die. It's just that plain. A lot of people are going to have to die. People are going to have to be willing to do what Jesus said. Some are going to die. Some are, it's, it's inevitable. He presses further here. Life was hard for Jesus, and he said it will be hard for his followers. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. So Peter warned the churches of Asia the mistreatment would come. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes on you and the test you, though something strange is happening to you. But insofar as you share in the sufferings of Christ, you may rejoice and be glad. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit and the glory of God rests upon you. Now, this is a little book you need to read. This is, this is a follow-up. This book influenced this whole series that I'm preaching. It particularly influenced this last sermon, obviously. Uh, and I just really encourage you to follow up and, and read it. And I bought several copies to have here. Uh, but I'm not giving them away because they all take them just like that. So you're going to have to have some skin in the game. They cost me five bucks. You got five bucks? Why don't you pay five bucks for it? If you don't, I'll take at a minimum a dollar. All right? So they got them at the back, except for this one. I'm going to give it away. Who has the closest birthday on the front row who would like the book? Huh? August 12th. Anybody closer than August 12th? 10th. August 10th. August 12th is the day she goes to college. That's what's in my mind. Okay? August 9th. He beat you by one day, Mary Claire. There you go. One day. All right. Let's go back to reality now. Back to reality. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So this is, this is the reality of living for Christ. So if you're going out as sheep in the midst of wolves, then the question comes to my mind, how do we speak for Christ with courage? If, they, if, if people are going to persecute us with words, then how are we going to use our words in the face of the realities? First, you trust in his provision the moment you need him. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, 
For they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Now, we don't get to experience this kind of tension very often. Now, by the way, uh, somebody did some more research on that art, the, the chalk story. It, that thing may be false. All right, It may be an urban legend. If it is, I'm sorry. I tried to check it out. Uh, but here's the deal. Some of you are going to face a professor that hostile. You're going to. And you're going to have a decision to make right then. A a am I going to speak or am I going to shut up? Because they're smarter than you. And when you open your mouth, they're waiting for you, you good little Christian kid from Gastonia, and they're going to pounce on you. Now, if you'll calm down, the Bible's true. If you'll just calm down, God will give you what to say in that moment. Being a smart mouth is never from God. Never. But he will give you what to say. Now, I'm going to make it a little more reality, closer to what Jesus is getting at here. So remember the story I told you about El Mezcatal when the, the guys were standing outside and I thought, man, this is it. Well, every day we would get on a boat and, uh, and they would take us out to the island of love, which was quite funny. There's not a lot of love going on out there except this little bitty band of believers that were out there that we were helping put a church together for them. And uh, you had the boat, the, you, you docked your boat at the guy who ran the island, okay? Uh, it was drugs, right? And they, would, they were telling us about this guy that he regularly killed people, uh, that he was a practicing, we would call him now bisexual, uh, he was just evil, just an evil man. Everybody on the island feared him. And every day we'd get off the boat, we'd walk by, and he would stand there and stare at us. So next to the last day or the last day, I can't remember exactly, we come walking up through there, and he says very loudly, and my Spanish is enough that I understood what he said, I want to talk to the pastor. Oh. So I stopped. I understood what he meant and the translator, and we talked. He said, but he must come inside alone. So I had a moment there. Okay, Lord, I figured there are 20 other people here. They're within 200 yards. If he kills me, at least they can take me back to my wife. So I'm going in. And there are 15 other dudes in there. And the snickering started as soon as I walked in the room. We want to ask you some questions. I said, all right, go for it. So for the next hour, they tried to confuse me. You would be amazed at how much these pagans knew the Bible. They peppered me with questions. And all I can tell you is, for that entire hour, God gave me a recall to quote the Bible like I have never experienced in my entire life. This passage is true. God will give you what you need in that moment. 
Next, pray for boldness. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So we're, we're praying for God to give us clarity, not that just we'll speak up for Christ, that we'll be clear in what we say, that we'll say it right and true. In Ephesians chapter 6, this is in the context of spiritual warfare, Paul says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance. In other words, don't stop praying. Don't stop battling in spiritual warfare and prayer, making supplication for all the saints and also for me. So we're praying for one another that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Acts 4.31, and when they had prayed, the place to which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now, Ephesians chapter 6, as I said a moment ago, is about spiritual warfare. Here's, Here's what you've got to understand. You are engaged as a follower of Christ in a spiritual battle. And you're just going to have to wake up to it. It's not just flesh and blood that you're dealing with. In fact, the Bible's making it clear, flesh and blood's not your problem. It's powers and principalities. It's the spirits in dark places. And and that we have to put on the armor of God together, and we've got to pray together. It's not just an individual issue. It's something we do together. And you see the early church praying together. And when they did, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and together they spoke the word of God with boldness. And you see Paul here repeatedly asking people to pray for clarity and boldness as he speaks. So the way you're going to press forward in proclaiming the gospel, have you noticed, I'll stop right here and ask this question. Have you noticed you pray more on mission trips? Have you noticed this? Anybody besides me noticed this? It's not just that people tell you to. You just do it. You do it because you understand, I got to do this. But we're walking around Gastonia like we don't need to. You know what we're doing? We're living in a delusioned reality at that moment. There's as much spiritual warfare at Gastonia as there is on the mission field when you go on a trip. Now, here's what you young people got to do. I'm not against like Bible studies at your schools. I'm not against joining some kind of parachurch ministry at at, at college. But but here's what you don't primarily need. You need the church for the Bible. The church is the place to learn the Bible. Here's what you need with peers at school and college. You need some people to do spiritual warfare with in prayer. You need to pray together. You need to regularly pray together. You guys got these phones now, man. you can, you can tell somebody right now to pray for you. Hey, man, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in the midst of a conversation with somebody. Pray right now that God's going to give me clarity and boldness. You can get people joining with you immediately. I'll ask you a question. If you went to this school, don't say it out loud. There's a Christian ministry, and I think it, it might have faltered in the last few years, but there's a Christian ministry at a local high school called the Society of the Unashamed. You might like to guess what school that is. If you, don't, you can't say it if you go there. Does anybody know what school that is in Gastonia? Somebody said it. Who said it? That's yeah, Gaston Christian. Isn't that a shock? 
You say, well, that's easy. It's a Christian school. Listen, you ought to go there for a couple days. You'd understand why the Society of the Unashamed formed at Gaston Christian. I think it's a great title. It's quite frankly a courageous title. (laughs) That's who we're going to be. We're the Society of the Unashamed. And what it requires is not more Bible study, guys. You ought to be getting together to pray and ask God to give you strength and courage to take the gospel where you're at. Next, stay connected to God's people, the church. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Now, here's how most people interpret this text. (laughs) I've had quite a bit of discussion with people about this this year. Is that this passage has to do with the fact that we're not to forsake worshiping together? I just have a question for you. How can we one another each other in a worship service? You understand what I'm asking? How can we personally encourage each other in a worship service? So that's right, we can't. Now, I can get up here and encourage you, but it's very one-sided. I'm encouraging you with the word. I pray you've been encouraged this week. I pray you've been challenged. You can be spurred on the love and good deeds, but that's not what Hebrews says to do. Hebrews says to spur one another. It's to one another each other. That's why it's crucial that you're a part of a group of, group of believers who are studying and reading the word together and praying together and challenging each other and encouraging and helping each other to press forward and to follow Christ. And God's design for that to happen is in a church. Here's one of the problems with you only gathering with people your age. You will become very myopic. You'll only be dealing with the problems that people your age are dealing with. That's why it's crucial that there are older people speaking in your life. And listen to this. This is what I say to the older people. It's crucial that older people get around people your age. Because then they're understanding what you're going through and how to help you. And, and you know what you do? You snap the older people out of complacency who are just doing their thing and fell into a complacent role of life. You need the church in its entirety to stay connected to God's people if you're going to live with courage. Next, trust his grace and long for his coming. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Now, let me just summarize this back to this morning. God has saved a people by his grace. He has set apart a people by his grace who are not to be consumed with the things of of this world. He has set apart a people to live under his authority until he comes. And he has given us what we need in order to be able to do that. So, come to the conclusion of everything I've said with this question. Here's the so what. This is really the whole week. Is Christ worth my life? Is Christ worth my life? 
Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost and whether he's had enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish all who see it, begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to counter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? If not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So, therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now, did Jesus stutter right there? That is, that is one of the most confrontational, powerful sentences in the New Testament. Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot, you hear that, cannot be my disciple. For there... Sake of Christ, then, I am content with my weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You say, why did you put that there? Here's why. Difficulty and dependence go together. Better learn this. Difficulty and dependence go together. So if you're going to embrace the difficulty, you're going to have to do it as a dependent person. Because if you don't, you'll become a cocky, arrogant person that Jesus cannot use. Cannot. Difficulty and dependence go together. Now, somebody turn in their Bible or some of you, several of you. Matthew 13, 44. This one on. Matt, come up here and read it. It's your, your, your verse. You're going to want to preach now. Go ahead and read it for us. Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven... The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Thank you. So let's explain this. So that's just weird. If you found something in a field, which, which if you've ever been to Israel, you understand this. Thousands and thousands of years of recorded history are going to like, you know, if you go on vacation in the United States and you go to a national park and there'll be this house that's been there 200 years and they won't let you walk on it. When you go to Israel, you're walking on stuff 4,000 years old. You know, and they'll say, this, this was built in 2000 BC or something. You know, it's just weird. It's right there. So there's buried treasure and things from wars and conquering all over the place. So here's how it works. If you find something in the field, you can't keep it unless, do the logic of the passage, unless what? You own the field. If you own the field, you own what's in the field. Now, what Jesus is teaching is the same principle he's teaching emphatically in Luke 14. He who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. If you don't sell it all and buy the field, you don't, you don't sell it all to, for Christ. If you don't give it all, renounce everything for the sake of Christ. 
You don't own the field. You don't, you don't, get, the, you don't get the prize. You don't get the, the treasure that's there. But the treasure is worth it all. That's the point. Christ is worth it all. So as I'm asking the question, is Christ worth my life? I'd, I'd ask a sub-question. Is Christ worth it all? Is he worth it all? Now, hear me. Courage comes from the right answer to both those questions. So you're not going to walk out of here with gospel courage if you don't answer those two questions correctly. Is Christ worth my life? Is Christ worth it all? If the answer is yes, and you have repented of your sin and turned to Christ, listen to me. He's going to give you the courage. It's coming. And the courage manifests itself from the very beginning that you profess publicly your need of Christ and your desire to follow him. That's how the courage initiates. That we go public, that we are actually followers of Christ and that we have given it all on his behalf. So worship team, you guys come on up here. We're going to sing this song, Come You Sinners. That's who we are. So Christ... Christ invites us. We're not earning anything by coming to him. Christ invites us, poor and needy people, to him. So let's, I'm going to pray for you, and I pray that we will sing as a people who say, Christ is worth it all. Christ is worth my life. Let's pray. Father, I pray now as we worship you, I pray that it would be evident in this room of those, and I know it will be, of those who've bought the field, who've sold it on and bought the field. And I, and I pray that you'd pour forth your spirit on us and that we would long before you that we truly will be a people who reflect you and honor you and glorify you in all that we do and that you'll send us forth from here as sheep among wolves to live lives that will glorify Christ as we are conscious that's going to cost us something, but you're worth it. So with joy now, I pray your people will sing. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.